Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. Everything is affected by COVID-19. And of course, every branch of medicine is straining. Researchers are straining for a vaccine. Doctors are straining in their hospitals, in their consulting rooms. And this divides medicine into two, those looking for the vaccine and those looking to keep those afflicted with COVID-19 alive. Uh, there are several treatments. Uh, some are more promising than others. The mortality rate is still too high. And along comes a new way of looking at this, something we have known about for a long time and possibly forgotten, a therapy that might come under the title Back to the Future. That is using radiation now used almost entirely in hospitals for either x-rays, of course, but for treating cancer, but which 70 years ago was used for treating viral pneumonia. To discuss the use of radiation in treating COVID patients and saving their lungs and shortening their hospitals that day is Dr. James S. Welch, who is a radiation oncologist at Loyola University Medical Center in Maywood, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago. Dr. Welsh, Jimmy, if I might call you that, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, Llewellyn. It's a great pleasure to join you this afternoon. Tell me about this back to the future technology, using radiation to deal with the inflammation that goes along with COVID-19. Well, thank you for the question, Llewellyn. This treatment does date back about a century now to the early mid 20th, 20th century when antibiotics were not yet fully on the scene. Bacterial pneumonia would yield to antibiotics, including penicillin and the modern derivatives, but viral pneumonia remained a challenge. Nevertheless, some cases of severe viral pneumonia would prove amenable to low-dose radiation therapy as a therapeutic intervention. And the mechanism here is a bit counterintuitive. It is not designed to attack the offending invading organism, specifically the virus. It does not sterilize the body of the virus, but rather it quells an over-exuberant immunological reaction towards the offending virus. And some viruses are notorious for inciting such an immunological overreaction. Which One is of, what we call inflammation. It is inflammation, inflammation gone wild. So there is good inflammation, necessary part of the defense mechanism of the body. And a bit like cholesterol, there's also bad inflammation when it goes too far and becomes the problem itself. Exactly. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. Now, we have a patient having difficulty breathing, just got to the emergency room. What do you do? Well, what we would hope to do through our proposed large clinical trial is to assess that individual in the emergency room, determine if they are ill enough to warrant admission to the hospital 
and placement on supplemental oxygen? If the answer to those questions is yes, they may be eligible for this clinical trial. And in one form of the various clinical trials that have been proposed, the patient would go directly from the emergency department to the radiation therapy department for their treatment, and then from there to the wards for hospital admission. And the normal admission after the treatment, how long do you expect that to be? We've had cases of COVID-19 patients being in hospital for three weeks, much of it in ICU. Would that be ended? Well, we would hope that this would curtail the need for intubation uh, and it would shorten the overall hospital stay and perhaps prevent progression from a simple precautionary hospital admission to one that demands treatment in the intensive care unit. We hope that this radiation will short circuit that all too common sequence. And when are you doing trials and what are the impediments to using this therapy? So I'll answer the second question first about the impediments. As you might imagine, radiation therapy is something that raises quite a few eyebrows when proposed as a form of treatment for infectious disease. People are familiar with radiation therapy as one of the three pillars of cancer therapy along with surgery and chemotherapy, but most people, including physicians, are completely unfamiliar with the potential application of radiation as an anti-inflammatory in infectious disease. So there is a lot of reluctance on the part of both medical professionals and patients to accept something that's so seemingly out of the norm. Nevertheless, through perseverance, several institutions will proceed with clinical trials and hopefully we will see some of these larger trials that are designed to definitively answer the question opening up in the next month or two. We've come to know a technical term because of the COVID outbreak that we had never heard before because we're not doctors, and that's cytokine storm. That is the height of the inflammation, right? And it will kill you. Cytokine storm is an inappropriate overactivation of the normal immunological response to an invading, invading offending organism. The cytokine release syndrome, also known as the cytokine storm, is when just too much of the, uh, the good thing is put into effect. And the bottom line is that the immune cells, the warriors against the invading virus, are overactive and taking no prisoners, so to speak, and perhaps doing more harm than good by unleashing unrestrained inflammation that is causing acute damage to lung tissue, for instance, that leads to a further decline of respiratory function, edema, which is fluid in the lungs, water in the lungs, which makes absorption of oxygen more challenging, and further leading to respiratory decline in a vicious cycle. 
So in order to short circuit that cycle, an anti-inflammatory is indicated. Now, uh, I understand this does not cure the disease. It solves the overreaction that the body would have naturally. But uh, what happens when the patient goes back? Do they still have the disease? Are they going to have a recurrence of the inflammation? Well, the way the clinical trial is proposed and designed is to allow appropriate state-of-the-art intervention along with the radiation therapy so that if uh, a certain drug is being administered, such as remdesivir, maybe the remdesivir will be allowed to conquer the virus or the patient's immune system will finally conquer the virus when the fire from the cytokine storm has been extinguished and the acute inflammation that is causing more harm than good has been bypassed. Now, this so, is not new when you use one thing to, con to deal with inflammation and another to cure the problem. Uh, quite frequently, in, for example, herpes simplex, uh, steroid is used and an antiviral, and the antiviral does the job and the steroid gets rid of the, the, the inflammation, the thing which is bothering the patient. Absolutely. I think that is a very good analogy. And in fact, um, steroids are now being explored more thoroughly for their potential role in calming down the uh, overaggressive immune reaction. Nevertheless, it is my opinion that uh, radiation will prove to be superior to dexamethasone or other steroid medicines, but that is why we must do the, uh, the large clinical. You program. have had some tests, haven't you? There have been a few patients. With what result? Yes, there have been a few uh, clinical trials that uh, um, have already opened, both in the United States and abroad. And I would say that uh, um, although the peer-reviewed results have yet to be published, the preliminary data seems very encouraging and certainly justifies proceeding with this proposed clinical trial. Uh, but let's go back to the patient. They've had the radiation, the inflammation has gone down, they're breathing more easily. Uh, what's the next step? They have to be treated with other drugs to disperse the virus or kill the virus or whatever you do to a virus. Uh, some viruses remain in the body, don't they? Well, yes. Uh, so we do, uh, do not have at this moment definitive proof that uh, any particular antiviral is the preferred treatment, but remdesivir has emerged as one that is highly competitive, possibly effective, but uh, maybe needs a little bit of a head start to overcome the, the offsetting uh, inflammation that is putting it behind the eight ball. The radiation may allow the remdesivir or other antiviral treatment to thereby be more effective and do what it is supposed to do without the huge obstructing mountain of inflammation in its path. Jim, Jim, tell us a little more about yourself. You've been head of several organizations. You've been in this field for a long time uh, with a keen interest in the use of the radiation for the treatment of cancer, now for 
part of the therapy for COVID-19 and possibly for other things. So let's start by finding out completely who you are. Uh, thank you. Um, um, Jim Welsh, I'm the chief of radiation therapy at the Heinz VA Hospital in Chicago, as well as professor and director of translational research at Loyola University Stritch School of Medicine in the Department of Radiation Oncology. I'm the past president of the American College of Radiation Oncology and uh, formerly uh, at the uh, University of Wisconsin and uh, Johns Hopkins Hospital before landing in my dream position right now. You're not entirely uh, in accordance with other people in your discipline. There are those that uh, I've done some reading who are very critical of your approach or very suspicious of it or just don't want to know about it. I read one long article in which the reporter uh, laid out your therapy and then seemed to find every doctor and, and every ideologist who disagreed with it. What is the, what is the acceptance of this therapy in your, in your profession? Well, it's a very interesting dichotomy right now, and uh, I use that term interesting loosely because uh, it's becoming more of an acrimonious debate that I believe can only be settled through proper clinical uh, trials and testing. And uh, there are too many opinions out there right now without enough facts. But I do believe that there is enough factual data this, at this time to justify proceeding with the trials that we've outlined. There is a lot of concern about uh, how radiation may be harmful in the short, intermediate, and long-term with regardless of how effective it is in addressing the COVID um, uh, pneumonia. I disagree with that strategy. I believe that patients who are sick enough to warrant hospital admission are in danger of deteriorating rapidly. Once patients deteriorate to the point where they're on the ventilator, there is a high probability that they will not survive. To me, that is unacceptable if there is a way of bypassing that, that dangerous path. And I am not convinced that radiation therapy is as hazardous as some people might make it out to be. Carcinogenesis is something that we're concerned about, but for every paper that somebody would show me that demonstrates that radiation at low doses is carcinogenic, I could show two or three papers that suggest otherwise. The amount of radiation you would be applying would be a one gray, roughly a one and a half grays, which is substantially below, I mean by a factor of um, 80 times lower uh, than it would be uh, for cancer. The doses that we use for lung cancer, as an example, are in the 60 to 66 gray range. What we often use for prostate cancer are somewhere in the order of 80 gray of radiation. What we're talking about here is one gray or less. Some are using uh, 1.5 gray, which to me is a big dose for this. Um, our clinical trial, proposed clinical trial is 0.5 gray versus 1.0 gray, which as you mentioned is, is uh, 
60 to 80 times less than the dose that we would use for treating cancer. Um, do you see inadvertent cancers caused when you're treating one cancer? Do you have a carcinogenic effect elsewhere in the body? Uh, an unrelated cancer? Is that a byproduct of radiation treatment? Is that where this fear comes from? No. So, uh, yes, it is possible that you could get uh, a second cancer um, with uh, these kinds of very high doses, but in fact, it is relatively rare that we see unequivocal radiation therapy-induced second malignancies. Uh, many of the patients who come down with one cancer have some form of predisposition, whether it's a long history of smoking, um, lack of exercise, an improper diet, or genetic predisposition to developing additional cancers. So it is sometimes challenging to prove unequivocally that radiation therapy or chemotherapy has incited the second cancer. As an example, we sometimes see second cancers after surgery alone in patients with such proclivity, and there is no way we could invoke the, uh, the radiation as uh, a guilty uh, suspect there. Having said that, there is some data that uh, radiation at moderate doses to large volumes of the body, given acutely, may be uh, carcinogenic. But the doses that we're proposing here in this study fall far below those. What about the lungs themselves? If you irradiate the lungs and you reduce the inflammation, do you save the lungs? I understand that if you go on a ventilator, the chances of the lungs being physically damaged, not working well afterwards, are very high. Yes. So once the patient has deteriorated to the point where they have what's called ARDS, or acute respiratory distress syndrome, and require ventilation, not only are they in danger of expiring in the next week or two from the, uh, the respiratory compromise, their lungs are probably going to be damaged or scarred for quite some time, leading to chronic complications. We want to intervene before a patient gets to that step. I do not think that once the patient has progressed or deteriorated to the point where they're on the ventilator, that radiation is going to prove useful in that context. Nevertheless, radiation should be able to prevent patients from deteriorating to that point, and it should not have any long-term sequelae. The dose that we use here is, like I said, considerably less than the doses that we use to cure cancer, and it is considerably less than what we know is a dose that is likely to produce something called radiation pneumonitis. We're still about 20-fold 20, 20 less than that particular dose. Jim, how does the doctor, how did you come to specialize in radiation? Which to my mind is a fascinating subject because it's where the physics meets the biological, but not everybody sees it that way. It's an interesting story and there are many paths that might've led to where I am now, but the, the one that I remember most vividly 
is uh, the fact that as a young child, I used to have the pleasure of going to the Staten Island Zoo and riding on the back of the giant tortoise out there. Um, as a college student, I'd learned that the giant tortoise, Jalopy, a Galapagos tortoise, was in the hospital getting radiation therapy for sarcoma. Never heard of sarcoma, I didn't know tortoises could get cancer, and I'd never heard about radiation therapy before. But Jalopy was successfully treated, and uh, since I still love tortoises to this very day, um, it uh, probably significantly affected the life trajectory um, of, of my uh, career scientifically, and uh, I wound up going to medical school studying oncology, specifically focusing on radiation therapy, and here I am today. Now, let's go back to our COVID-19 lung with the inflammation. What is happening there? You're not trying to destroy a cell, you're trying to do something quite different. That's right. At these very, very tiny doses, what we're doing is having an effect on the immune system so that the immune system temporarily stands down in its overly aggressive stance against the invading virus. And in so doing, there are things that we call macrophage polarization or lymphocyte uh, transition from one subtype to another. But the point is that the army is now being controlled, the army of, of immunological warrior cells is now falling under control rather than unleashing fury indiscriminately and taking no prisoners, including normal cells. So the application of radiation here is for an entirely different purpose. And that's why radiation is so interesting. The dose maketh the poison, the dose maketh the cure as well. I'm inclined to think about the cocktail of drugs for treating childhood leukemia, which I believe was developed in St. Jude's in Memphis, where the convention was you will kill these children if you give them all these poisons simultaneously. And the providing doctor said that they're dying anyway. And of course, now the cocktail is an established part of therapy for cancer, for, for, for leukemia, which is almost a conquered disease, or childhood leukemia is almost conquered. One hesitates to say that any time. Uh, and the cocktail is the essential treatment for AIDS. Had it not been for this act of heresy, it wouldn't have happened, or it might have taken a very long time to come about. Do you feel, do you feel in recommending radiation, you're committing an act of heresy? I don't think that I'm being a maverick or stepping too far outside the bounds of what is considered uh, um, a logical next step. But you raised a great point with the combination chemotherapy, which is the modern treatment for cancer, based on the Cody Goldman hypothesis that if you attack the cancer from multiple angles, the cancer can't fight back all those angles at once. Perhaps the COVID virus the SARS-CoV-2 virus will yield to a multi-angled approach as well. And this might be true of other immune deficiencies or immune excesses where the immune system has gone haywire, where it might be brought under, as you say, under control. Perhaps including autoimmune conditions. Very interesting. What do you need to proceed? You've mentioned several times that you have a trial coming up 
I know that this is in the VA. Tell us about it. Well, uh, I'm very fortunate that uh, I'm working with the VA right now. The VA is a system, a network that uh, has uh, um, great depth and uh, ability to move with surprising alacrity under emergency circumstances. And this pandemic certainly qualifies as an emergency. And I've been extremely impressed with how rapidly the Department of Veterans Affairs can really step up during such a time of emergency. We've cleared, I'd say, nine out of the 10 hurdles necessary to proceed with our study. And I'm hoping that uh, we will be able to clear this final hurdle and proceed in the next month or two. I wanted to know what your relationship or the relationship of this therapy is to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and to the Federal Drug Administration. So that's a very interesting question, Luan. I used to serve as an advisor to the United States Nuclear Regulatory Commission as a member of the Advisory Committee on Medical Uses of Isotopes. And as the name indicates for both Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the uh, Advisory Committee on Medical Uses of Isotopes, their regulatory purview is restricted to true nuclear radiation, meaning that it cannot um, um, oversee electronically produced radiation. The radiation that I'm proposing for this study and others are going to employ is almost exclusively electronically generated through X-ray machines or linear accelerators. So the NRC will not be directly involved in any oversight or regulation. The FDA, which had several questions regarding the use of linear accelerators and other radiation producing machinery, um, has uh, asked those questions and been answered uh, to its satisfaction. And uh, for that reason, I believe we can proceed with our clinical study. Wonderful. Uh, in what we might call the lightning round, how many countries are working on this? Well, I would say that uh, there's about a half dozen. And can you use it, A, for Alzheimer's where there's inflammation? The answer is, in my opinion, definitely yes. Radiation may have an important role for addressing Alzheimer's in the future. B, arthritis, where you also have inflammation. I just uh, had an interesting teleconference uh, yesterday about how we might address arthritic conditions more properly through the use of radiation. Are we about to see a new age of tolerance of radiation in medicine? I believe the answer is definitely yes. Specifically, a new tolerance for low doses of radiation therapy as we demonstrate efficacy, demonstrate broader applications for conditions such as arthritis and Alzheimer's disease, and elucidate the molecular mechanisms that make perfect sense and overthrow things like the LMT hypothesis, which does not make sense. Doctor, you're doing extraordinary work and you're a very interesting man. I'm so delighted you came on the broadcast today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Good luck. Cheers. Our program, White House Chronicle, is on offer as a podcast for you to enjoy. Full shows on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, 
and all major audio platforms. Subscribe and take us with you in your pocket.